NASDAQ Governance Solutions provides a suite of board technologies and services that enable boards and leadership teams to deliver to the highest standards. We aim to be the single trusted partner to boards. NASDAQ Governance Solutions serves 225,000 board portal users, 330 of the Fortune 500, and 75 of the Fortune 100, and nearly 7,000 global organizations. Today I'm speaking to James Beasley, Senior Director at NASDAQ Governance Solutions, about stakeholder capitalism and stakeholder engagement. James, could you introduce yourself and perhaps give us some initial thoughts on today's topic? Yeah, thanks Rachel and um, hello everyone. Yeah, my role at NASDAQ is to lead our board advisory work and also our Centre for Board Excellence in Europe, Middle East and Africa. In practice, that means focusing on things like board evaluations and supporting clients through um, you know, through other uh, important processes like succession planning, onboarding of directors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what do we mean by stakeholder capitalism? Well, stakeholder capitalism is a bit of a buzzword du jour. Mm. I think we kind of have to have to accept, but we yeah. shouldn't lose the real meaning behind it. And that's that successful companies should be defined by more than just generating shareholder capital or increasing share prices. Um, that doesn't mean it's a naive utopian view of companies being able to run on good intentions alone. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't even necessarily avoid potential conflicts and challenges to the concepts, you know, as we'll, we'll probably touch upon today, no doubt. Um, but it does allow for different measures of performance and risk. Mm. And it brings to the fore matters like culture and incentivization. Um, it's intrinsically linked to sustainability as it's grounded in a view that giving consideration to wider interests, perspectives and impacts leads to longer term value creation. Yeah. So it's important to continue to talk about stakeholder capitalism yeah. alongside ESG, another thing that is on you know, everybody's lips. Yeah. So ultimately, we're still talking about capitalism. We're still saying that companies exist to deliver economic growth. Um, but encouraging a different view on the path to that uh, and the different KPI, and different KPIs to use. I'm always at pains to caveat any discussion on stakeholder capitalism with this isn't a new thing. Mm. During the Victorian era and into the 20th century, there existed avant-garde welfare capitalism. You know, we mm. saw this in various Western industrialized nations, the UK, the US, mm. France, Germany, and it could be seen in the development of model micro societies like Saltair, uh, yeah. which was created by called Satita Salt or Bourneville, created by the Cadburys. Um, um, both of those examples being in the UK, where there was an explicit view driven at the time by religious beliefs, as it happened, mm -hmm. you know, of the Quaker religion specifically, that the welfare of workers, their families, future generations was a responsibility of business leaders. Mm -hmm. So nowadays, the concept has become more enmeshed in societies and government policy. And it engenders a, a broader concept of stakeholders through which to frame the decisions. But nonetheless, you know, it's important to think that, you know, through the roots of capitalist societies, if you like, this, this, this kind of concept has existed. So it's encouraging we're coming back to it and developing that, that further. Stakeholder engagement, because we put those two things alongside each other mm. um, to address the second part of the question, is the natural means by which to achieve stakeholder capitalism in my mm. view so you can't consider or act in the interests of different parties if you don't understand them or engage with them in the first mm -hmm. place 
absolutely. That's so interesting to think about the history of stakeholder capitalism as a historian myself. Um, that's very appealing. Um, and I actually come from the, an area quite near Saltaire, so I've been there quite a lot. Oh, really? Yes, yes. It's Wonderful. a lovely place. Um, so why do you think boards are paying particular attention to this now? Um, in short, the last two years. Mm. You know, I, I, I think they have really shone a light on the concept and its benefits. You know, boards have faced an extraordinary convergence of events, mm. a global pandemic, shrinking labor markets or tightening labor markets, um, uh, volatile economic markets, state-sponsored cyber attacks, mm. unstable geopolitical conditions, mm. civil unrest. Um, it feels like this period in particular has brought with it a more inclusive stakeholder-centric perspective to yeah. creating shareholder value. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, the Business Roundtable's 2019 statement on the purpose of a corporation marked the beginning of a new era in the, in the United States, I think. Mm. Um, the European Commission made stakeholder governance the foundation of a 2021 Sustainable Corporate Governance Initiative. The UK led, of course, a long time ago, we, we can really say, in legislating the concept of enlightened shareholder value mm. or consideration of stakeholder impact in decision-making as early as 2006 mm. through you know, Section 172. And you know, reporting on how these considerations have been evaluated is now firm practice in the UK mm. and influencing governance trends around the world. So I think we can kind of be proud of the role that we've played in this but it's really the last two years that has really put it under the microscope. So in face of ongoing and mounting challenges, uh, the concepts of stakeholder engagement and sustainability seem to be strengthening. And we're learning that clearly stakeholder-centric organizations may wield greater influence um, and even be more trusted. And when we're speaking to boards, directors importantly are increasingly engaged. Boards around the globe appear to be exhibiting more agility, tech savviness, uh, risk awareness, forward-looking perspective and resilience. Mm. And they're hearing different perspectives more loudly and more clearly, and those become more difficult to ignore. Mm. Yes, I think there's definitely more of a drive from um, stakeholders for boards to, like you say, address um, the issues of the day. Um, so what do you think the board's role is in stakeholder engagement? Personally, I find it most helpful to frame this in the director's duty, specifically number four. So the duty to exercise reasonable care, skill and diligence. Mm. And I'd even put a focus on the word care there. Mm. Um, and maybe this is, um, maybe this is kind of uh, looking through rose-tinted rose specs. Mm. Um, but a duty of care obliges boards to consider how company activities will likely impact uh, financial risk as it pertains to customers, employees, partners, suppliers, communities, um, shareholders, as well as long-term profitability. To effectively discharge that duty of care um, through a stakeholder-oriented perspective, directors should define who their stakeholder population is, mm. Um, and gain a better understanding of their demographics and particular interests. And once stakeholder constituencies are defined, directors should review and balance those interests against 
um, you know, any pending board decisions impact. Mm. So boards are uniquely placed within an organization to effectively promote and safeguard stakeholder interests uh, and, and developing new ways of bringing their voices into the boardroom. And what are some of the innovative ways that you've seen boards engage with um, their various stakeholders? Front and centre in this for me, particularly through and post-pandemic, are two stakeholder groups. And you might hear me referring to these in, in different sessions, employees and customers. Uh-huh. Um, and we can, you know, you can wrap that with society, you wrap that around with society as a whole, mm-hmm. if you like, but employees and customers as a as a particular concept, as two stakeholder groups are front and center. Um, Developments of recent years have driven a stronger keenness to understand customers, Mm. um, even before the pandemic and today's challenges. As customer demographics evolve, as new generations come to the fore, business leaders uh, increasingly seek to unlock um, opportunities, head off risks, predict trends. Mm -hmm. So, when it comes to customer engagement, we're, in, we're moving beyond relying solely on customer satisfaction surveys because this has been something that's been on the agenda for a while. It's not just about net promoter scoring. There are some interesting developments. So, and, and you can break these down. You know, they will apply in different ways to different, um, you know, different types of organization. But in the, in the retail world where you have individual, um, individual customers, um, playing back verbatim, positive and negative customer letters in the boardroom can be incredibly powerful to kind of bring a real situation into the boardroom. So I've seen boards have one of each at every board meeting just to open up and set the tone. You know, here is some positive feedback we've heard from our customers. Here's something uh, negative, you know, there's potentially a complaint, for example, that we've seen. Linked to that and taking it a bit further, um, you can map customer journeys and uh and and look more closely at their outcomes this is something as a concept that will be very familiar to you know those working in the financial services world as it's very much you know how we think about conduct but looking closely at complaints um you know how was a complaint handled for example did the customer speak to the people they needed to did they feel listened to etc um or other processes like purchasing you know if they're going through a buying process what did they experience let's take an example that we've got the overall data around this but let's take a literal example and let's walk through exactly what these individuals experienced it's about bringing it to life right i think we can we can rely on quantitative data primarily around these things historically but really now we need to be bringing these things to life to hear those voices it becomes more qualitative On the wholesale side, if we think about, you know, where you might be interacting with other businesses primarily as your your customers, then inviting customers to a board session to feedback and discuss their experiences. You know, have the managing director or the chair, for example, or the CEO of of one of your most important companies come and talk to the board Mm. um, and to, you know, to to have a bit of a, um, not just a, but more of a fact-finding personal um, uh, session around, you know, where the, where the benefits and challenges might be. 
Um, you can see joint advisory for with, with key customers, connecting non-executive directors, connecting management to understand both sides of the, of the table. I think that can be very powerful. Um, the, other, the other side, of course, I mentioned, so that, that's kind of on the customer side. On the employee's side, I think, you know, the pandemic on that hand quite explicitly drove a push to connect with employees. As whole workforces were displaced from offices overnight, boards and business leaders needed to um, quickly understand what might be affecting their employees, you know, wow. from, con from concerns around physical and mental well-being to managing operational risks from a dispersed workforce, adapting authorities and processes to match the new normal day-to-day um, -day operations, a you know, phrase we've heard far too much over the last few years. Um, Ultimately, the government's flirtation with mandating workforce representatives, like we see on dual tier boards in, in the US, was dismissed, rightly in my opinion, as I, I don't think it is compatible necessarily with unitary boards. It can add a bit of complexity and opacity. But the principles are sound in terms of making, you know, mandating a way and facilitating boards to get that employee voice into the boardroom to make sure those considerations are, are, are taken. Um, and so we have seen organizations take proportionate approaches, emphasis on the word proportionate to ensuring mm -hmm. employee voices are heard. So we've seen things like um, uh, the, the chair's council as a concept. So getting some bright young things from across the organization with a broad demographic uh, together to sit down with the chair to discuss topics that might be coming up at the next board meeting mm -hmm. so that you get that voice fed through. Um, by proxy through the chair. We're seeing organizations look at, uh, one of my clients has recently brought in what they call NEBAs, non-executive board advisors, mm. where actually you might need some skills around the table here, mm. um, but we don't necessarily have the room on the board. Mm. So how do we facilitate that? Well, they've looked at um, the, the next level down, you could say, i.e. not experienced board directors, but people coming through an organization with specific skills and experience mm to give them exposure to the board. And one interesting area there is having, some, having someone who's an HR people person from outside the organization to give those perspectives and bring that employee voice through. Um, a bit like with the customer side, playback of employee journeys can be interesting. You know, what were experiences of specific individuals going through the joining or onboarding process, going through promotion processes? going through reviews of their reward and remuneration. Um, and also similar to the customer side, playback of good and bad news stories to determine lessons to be learned and then filter that back down through the organization so everyone can benefit from it. Um, embedding access to non-executive directors is quite an interesting one. So man marking with um, uh, particular executive leaders, but also maybe on a topic by topic basis. We've seen the concept of a, of a champion at the board, a non-executive director who maybe has a, has a name badge, which underneath says a particular theme, if you like, that they take some responsibility to thinking particularly about, mm. you know, why not have that as employees in their interests? Mm. Um, hopefully what comes across there is that boards are really thinking about this. And there's some really yeah. interesting developments that we're starting to see, and we're starting to see boards learn from each other in terms of what might work. Because the wonderful thing about boards is often, individuals are sitting on more than one board and so they can bring that perspective through.
what are some of the challenges that boards might have um, in effectively engaging with stakeholders? In first and foremost, when, when we talk about some of those um, some of those uh, potential opportunities that are being taken, some of those developments, there's a key theme and they all demand time. Um, you know, they all involve a bit of thought. They all involve um, some commitment from individual directors, from you know, senior leaders in the organization, from the COSEC. So time um, is a challenge, particularly when you already have a very full calendar and access to non-executive directors in that context in particular mm. is very important. Um, yeah, picking up on that, I think already full agendas, the fact that you know, boards are not sitting around, sitting around twiddling their thumbs, particularly right now, mm. where we're living in such a rapidly changing world um, with you know, some you know, new developments, it seems, every single week throwing, mm. throwing a curveball. Um, so motivating boards and those that support them to to you know step back and invest that kind of time if it is available um, is a bit of a challenge because mm. we're feeling swamped yeah. and in some organizations ultimately you know there is low engagement around these things you know when we mm. when we think about culture around an organization it's all very well trying to bring uh, the employee voice in but you, that needs to be reciprocated. It's all very well trying to bring the customer voice in. That needs to be reciprocated. Mm. It can't just be done unilaterally in all, in all cases. So there is low engagement and that's going to pose a challenge in itself. And so, you know, really there you need to take kind of a baby steps approach and demonstrate the success in order to build on it. Mm. Do you think there might be a challenge around um, diversity as well? I, I was interested in what you were saying about giving um, more junior members um, the opportunity to, to take on a board role or board advisory role and that gives them experience and I thought that mm. that's interesting and it would help with diversity do you think there's an issue um, in terms of if if boards aren't so diverse it's harder for them to identify with a broader range of stakeholders I think that's a really interesting point Rachel yes I, I, I think there certainly could be um, and I, I would see those two things going hand in hand, you know, as we're thinking about how to engage and who to engage with, the board needs to hold a mirror up to itself and mm. say, you know, are we reflecting our stakeholders enough? And it comes down, you know, it really grows from, um, you know, the work that's been done over re recent years around developing more of an understanding and more of a strategic application of the skills, knowledge, and expertise, et cetera, that needs to be around the board. Mm. Part of that really has driven into, you know, and are we representing our different stakeholders enough? Do we have people who the customers would identify with or who, where you can speak their language? Do we have mm. people that the employees will, will understand? And that's, you know, I was having this conversation with the board actually recently um, where we delivered a board valuation for them and they were reflecting on this very, very strongly. You know, for them, um, from a diversity point of view, that included things like social mobility, mm. um, you know, and they're seeing a lot of yeah. their customers struggling, uh, you know, with the cost of living crisis, mm. et cetera. Um, and, you know, in parts of the country that might be and feel to be, uh, you know, quite neglected, mm. you, you know, can we really as a board speak that language given yeah. the background that we currently have at the moment? I think that's a really important point to make. And so what do you think company secretaries and management can do to help um, 
with the challenges um, that might be faced in effectively engaging with stakeholders. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the the answer to that question lies in the practices that, you know, COSEX already, um, you know, already demonstrate and is just making sure the right lens is on it, if you like. So mm. building the relationships with the non-executive directors outside of the boardroom is something that, you know, COSEX are, are already doing, of course, for a whole range of purposes, but using those interactions to promote ideas, introduce internal and external resources for them to connect with who might be presented in front of the board or, or otherwise to, to kind of gain insights from outside the, the organization is, is really powerful. Building a connection with the chair specifically and serving you know, the chair's needs, ensuring that stakeholder engagement is regularly reflected on and that's led by the chair. Mm -hmm. So at strategy days, in reviewing management information and minutes, in performing maybe post-meeting health checks, to challenge back on, you know, have we really given consideration to all of these stakeholders that we've identified when we've been making these decisions? Do we really understand the impact that our decisions are having? Mm. And so how do you think um, stakeholder engagement could be effectively measured? Oof, um, with a lot of hard work, I think. Mm. Uh, Organizations need to develop more sophisticated data points for understanding the, the various stakeholders. Um, you know, in, in short, I think that would mean moving beyond pulse surveys and net promoter scores, as I mentioned earlier, or focusing on mainly quantitative metrics. Um, you know, the power here is in qualitative data points. It's mm. understanding journeys and outcomes. It's it's hearing that voice figuratively or or literally, mm. and it's continuously reflecting on the appropriateness of those data points. So, you know, true measurements should include questions to the board on effectiveness of stakeholder engagement um, during board performance reviews, for example. Mm. You know, it shouldn't just be something that is just on the agenda and that's that. It needs to be thought of as something the board is there to do. In the same way, when we look at, um, you know, performance of boards, we look at the dynamics around the table, we look at um, you know, how well the board is supported, administered, we look at individual processes um, or areas of responsibility like risk appetite or strategy and performance. We need to be thinking about stakeholder engagement in that same way, encouraging new ideas, reflecting on how well existing ones have delivered or been embedded. And to, uh, and to finish off, what, what would you say are your top tips for engaging stakeholders effectively? Um, I think as we've been discussing, you know, understand, map who your stakeholders are. Mm. Consider each in turn for what type of board decisions would impact them the most. So in theory, who the primary stakeholders are for the various board responsibilities, map them across. Mm. Um, and what is not understood cannot be measured ultimately. So we need to be able to kind of have that kind of basis. Um, once you have that list and those decisions are mapped, consider the most important touch points mm. um, and consider creative, qualitative ways of hearing and taking account of that voice. And then don't rest on laurels. Mm. Keep, challenging, keep challenging ourselves as, 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 as boards, as people who support boards for the appropriateness of those measures and listen to outside examples for trends and tips from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. 
thank you very much, um, James. It's been so interesting to uh, talk about such a topical um, area at the moment um, and think about some constructive ways that the board can address um, stakeholder engagement to, um, to really make a difference um, and to engage with stakeholders effectively. Thank you very much for your insight today. Thanks, Rachel. Our solutions include board portal software, NASDAQ Board Vantage, digitized board director and senior leadership performance evaluations, and digitized data collection for things like conflicts management and related parties monitoring. Under the NASDAQ Governance Solutions umbrella, we also have the NASDAQ Center for Board Excellence, our international community development and thought leadership initiative aimed at advancing strong governance practices, fostering debate and connecting people. NCB, as we sometimes call it, is a thriving platform open to board directors, business leaders and governance practitioners.